You know, we're in a series on the Psalms, and Psalms were liturgical words. That means they were used in worship. Yes, there are some private Psalms, but more often than not, they were something that was liturgical, used in corporate worship. Uh, you can almost hear in, in uh, Psalm uh, 24, uh, lift up your heads, O ye mighty gates. And, uh, you know, there's the, uh, the priest proclaiming that. And then he says, who is the king of glory? And the, the, the audience or the congregation, the Lord, strong and mighty in battle. And then they would bring in the Ark of the Covenant. You can see things like that, that happening in worship. So this series is about us corporately worshiping and expressing our emotions together because the Psalms reveal to us the gamut of human emotions as you'll hear uh, throughout our summer series. I mean, how long, O oh Lord? I mean, a cry of despair and uh, cries of anger, uh, but also uh, songs of praise. And that's what we're going to discuss today. And so this is a act of worship. So I invite you again to stand so you can stay awake in the dark and turn to page 853 in your hymnals. It's also going to be on the screen, but some of like to read out of the hymnal. And we're going to re read this responsively. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. For we have exalted your name and your word above everything. All the rulers of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. And they shall sing of your ways of the Lord. For the Lord is high, but regards the lowly. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. O Lord, fulfill your purpose for me. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Uh, before I begin, it's good to be back with you. Um, some have asked, who am I, since I've been gone for a, a couple weeks, but I've, I've been away at annual conferences, both in Alabama and, and in Western North Carolina, and it was good to be with Methodist people in both places, with old and dear friends in Alabama and, and new friends uh, up this way, and I met some of your uh, former pastors, uh, and they all send regards, um, John Fitzgerald and A.J. Thomas and Luke Edwards in particular, so it's good to see, see them. Well, why are you here today? I mean, really, why, why have you gathered here this morning? What brought you to this place? Well, this psalm reminds us that we come together in worship, in God's house, in the temple, to give praise and glory to God, to remember God and who God is, to praise His name and offer thanksgiving to God for who God is. For God is a God of glory and a God of love, a God of power and might and a God of compassion and God of care. 
we uh, approach the psalm as the psalmist did and with, the, with awe. You know, when you go to different places around, they have different words to respond when good things happen. You know, in some places they'll, they'll say, hey, that's really neat or, or that's cool. But around here, I've discovered, particularly if you talk to Vern Collins, that word is awesome. You know, you, you, you say something good, oh, that's awesome. Man, that's awesome. That, that, that is really awesome. You know, you, that seems to be the high country word, awesome. And who can blame us living in this awesome environment? But, you know, the word awesome has a root in awe. And that's a word maybe we don't use too much, do we? In olden days, you would hear phrases like this, the Jehovah's awful throne. Awful throne. And when we hear that in our context in our day and time, we think, oh, boy, that's awful, you know. That, 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 that smells bad. But our ancestors reminded us that awful is a word that describes something glorious and grandeur. To be filled with awe is to be filled with wonder in the mystery of something that is greater than ourselves. Think about a place, a location, where when you go there, you're in awe. Of course, around here, it's these majestic mountains. You know, some of y'all have views of, of Grandfather Mountain. Boy, is that majestic. That, doesn't that fill us with awe? You know, there's some, though, they like to go down to the coast and, and see the vast ocean and think about being lost in that vastness and the, and the broadness and the depth of the sea that extends from shore to shore, joining together continents. Others, you know, they go to these grand cathedrals and they're overwhelmed by the majesty of those flying buttresses and those ceilings that, that point skyward into heaven. What's on your mind right now? What are you thinking about besides lunch or brunch? What? What comes to your mind? Is it the mountains around here? Is it the sea? Is it maybe going out west to see the, the, the Rockies? What is it? Well, God is more majestic than any mountain. He's more broad and vast than any sea. He's more beautifully intricate than any grand cathedral that has ever been worked by the hands of humanity. That's who God is. And this psalmist approaches the Lord in his temple, not to worship the temple, but the one who he believes occupies the temple. You know, we read in Mark's gospel, the 13th chapter, that the disciples came with Jesus and they saw the glorious temple. In fact, the temple that they looked at, some of it still remains to this day. And when you go to Israel, you'll see the huge stones that the disciples talk about. They say, Lord, look at these huge stones. Look how magnificent this place is. Isn't it just glorious? And Jesus reminds them, it won't be too long from now that there won't be any stones standing here. For you see, the psalmist came to the temple not to worship a beautiful space like this. He came because the one who invited him there was worthy of glory and praise. And so when we go out into the woods and go out into the mountains or the forest or, or go down by the sea, they are like a sacrament that usher us into the presence of this glorious God who made all things. They are a reminder, you see, of God. Like a sacrament, a sign and a symbol of something greater than themselves. So this psalmist comes 
with this thought in mind that I've come to glorify the Lord in his temple for who he is and all God has done and the majesty of the Lord. And then he says, I've come to offer my thanks and my praise. I've come to give God thanks for who God is and who God is all about for. He reminds us of something that is the primary attribute of a believer. That's thanksgiving. That's the first thing we should be about is thankful. For we all, no matter where we are, who we are, have reason to give thanks. People on occasion will send me things because I, I guess they think I need to improve my preaching. And, and so I got something uh, not, not too long ago from somebody that said this about Thanksgiving. Now, I haven't verified the statistics, but the sentiment of it is true. In this email that I received, it said this. If you have food in your refrigerator, roof over your head, clothes on your back, then you're better off than 75% of the world's population. If you've never known the danger of battle, the isolation of imprisonment, the scourge of torture, or the pangs of hunger, you're better off than 500 million people in this world right now. If you can read this email or you can read a book, you're better off than 2 billion people in this world right now. And then it goes on to say, if you can go out on the day with your head held high and offer thanks for the blessings that are around you, you're better off than most people because most people forget to give thanks. You ever been in a restaurant in a nation that still is predominantly Christian? How many heads do you see bowed before the meal is served or the meal is eaten? Thank you, Fred. I prompted him to say that. I'll pay you later. Yeah, yeah, very few. Very few. And listening to a podcast recently, uh, a woman from Ukraine said, be thankful that you don't have bombers over your head and that you're at peace, for we take peace for granted. There's always a reason for which to give thanks. As Apostle Paul put in Thessalonians, in every season, give thanks. Every season. You know, after the Reformation, there was lots of turmoil in Europe. Religious wars broke out all over the continent, over which way to worship God. And one of those conflicts was the Thirty Years' War that happened in the 17th century. You heard me right, Thirty Year War. And in that war, millions of people died in Europe. And now, the, the, you know, we think about war right now in our context. Well, it's happened in Ukraine, or our soldiers go off with drones and they bomb folks and things like that. Now, this is where people in their homes and their villages all over the continent in Central Europe were having their houses destroyed, their farms burned, their families killed. Millions died in the war. And then on top of all that, the plague hit again in 1637. And millions died of the plague. And in the midst of all this, in the village in central Germany, Mark Rinkert was a pastor. He became sick himself. He and his 
pastorate there in that town during the war and during the plague buried over 5,000 people, including his family. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he pins these words that are on the screen. They're on the screen. They'll be on the screen. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, with wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love which are still ours today. Think about that. Think about if you have a child that's younger. Keep the words up there, Sam, because we're going to read them together. Think about that. If you have a child that's under 30, their entire life, or his entire life, knowing nothing but war and famine and pestilence. Think about my ministry. I've been in ministry around 30-something years. My whole ministry bearing people. And yet, here's what Rinkert offers up to us in history. Think about what you are enduring in life. And now, let's say these words together. Because oftentimes when we sing them, we just go over them. And we don't think about it. We got the tune in our mind. But let's say these words together. Now, thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things have done and whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. One of the reasons the psalmist encourages us to give thanks is that no matter what we're dealing with, what we're going through, we have something for which to give thanks. You hopefully have received the psalm journal. Have you all got those? If not, there's some in the back. If you've lost yours, get you another one. Um, But I encourage you to go through those things. And, 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 you know, the question is today, you know, what in some ways God has answered you when you have called you know, you may be going through some good times right now. Well, write that down. Write things down for which you give thanks for when the bad times come, and they will. You can look back and say, you know, God, I thank you for this. I offer you thanks for this. And it's amazing when you're offering thanks how even what you're going through, you can endure because you know that God has been faithful in the past God's going to be faithful with you in the storm. He's going to be faithful with you as you move ahead, no matter what. So how can we do this? Well, Tracy, I, I need to pay you too, because you, you, you prompted what I said about, you know, you heard us say about worshiping with, with your heart. You know, that, that he says in the psalm there, I worship you with my whole heart. The, you know, the, the Hebrew word, lebe, it, it, it means... You know, the center of who you are, we've talked about what it means to have a heartfelt religion, a heartfelt love. That means the center of your being, the center of who you are, the center of your will. That's your heart. One commentator said this, it's the where God's spirit touches you at your heart, the core of who you are. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, what has our heart? To what we, do we give our hearts? How do we 
worship with all of our hearts? How do we give our entirety of our hearts to God? And, and he answers that in the second verse. He said, before the gods, I worship you. Now, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? You know, the, the word there is Elohim. I think I got it right, Rodney. You may have to correct me on that. But it, it, it's, it means the gods. And, and if you look in the commentary when you go home, some commentary is going to say, well, you know, the, the heavenly consort that surrounds the divine throne. You know, some highfalutin thing like that. And I, you know, that may be it. But it could be that it's the other gods that are in the, the universe that Israel knew at the time, the, the Baals and the Astras and the Dagons, and those type things. And we, we can say to ourselves, we don't have that stuff anymore. Who has statues? Who worships other things besides God? We do, don't we? Whatever you give your heart over to, that is your God. And some, well, you know, have erred in lots of ways and given their hearts over to possessions or to mammon as Jesus calls it to wealth some have given it over to pleasure some eros but some have given their hearts over to things that well we think are right and true and good like our family and our career our status but if we've given our hearts to them they are our God and how they have made us less than what God would have us to be or who our God is, that's where our heart is. Whatever is our God, our heart follows after it. Many of you all read the James Mishner book, The Source. I, I bet you all, it's an old book. Uh, and, you know, as James Mishner does, he goes, starts way back. But if you plow through all the stuff, and you get to see some of the, the biblical histories, it's the telling a story of them digging up a tell, which is an archaeological site there in Israel, and going through the different layers of uh, Israel's history. And when, when you go to Israel, because I hope you do, uh, you'll see things like that. But in, the, in it, he tells a story of the, a Canaanite uh, village or Canaanite town, and he tells of this man who... Uh, because they worship these Canaanite gods, these fertility gods, they demanded that, you know, you sacrifice your first child to this god so that you'll have plenty more children. And in order to have more of these children, they would go off to uh, these temples and, and have interactions with the, the ritual prostitutes that were there. And the wife is watching her husband merrily skip off to uh, perform this sacred act and rite, and she has tears in her eyes, and Mishnah has her say these words. If he had a different God, he'd be a different man. If he had a different God, he'd be a different man. Think about it in your own life and how we have given our hearts over to so many things that, well, are impermanent. Some, you know, have mistakenly given themselves over to pleasure or to eros or to alcohol. You know, th those things happen, but... How would, we be, how would people be different if they didn't do those things? How would our, our families be different if, you know, we've given our hearts over to our families and there's nothing wrong with loving our families and doing best by them, but if we gave our hearts to God and then how would our families be different? How would our professions be different? How would we put our priorities in, in the way we used the blessings God gave to us? This past week, we read together at staff, Wesley's 24 questions that he had asked people called Methodists uh, how they're living their lives and being accountable to a discipline. And 
boy, reading those, I felt about that big. And one of them asked on there, have I prayed before I spent my money? Wow. How would it be different if the Lord was our God? And how would things be changed in our lives? Yeah, before the gods, I thank thee and I praise thee. Because as he says in there, I know that God will lift me up. I know that God will care for me. Even when I am in trouble, sometimes that trouble is of our own making, right? I know God is there to sustain me and will be there for me. Or as I said just a moment ago, that's what these psalms do. They remind us in our bad times of God's faithfulness in the past and that God is faithful even in the midst of our down times and our trials and our tribulations that life will bring our way and God will get us through. For as he says, will God forsake me? Of course not. Or he will say in other psalms, other psalms will tell us God is like a good shepherd. And Jesus reminds us, I am the good shepherd. And they will never forsake the flock, which is you and me. And as you'll hear when we talk about the 23rd Psalm, which I know you all can't wait to hear, he's with us in the dark valleys. There's a little boy walking with his dad through the woods, and, uh, you know, the woods are starting to get kind of dark. You know how the woods get darker before uh, the rest of the area, and and he began to get scared, and he said, Daddy, are you going to leave me? He said, Son, I'm going to walk with you the whole way. And then it got really dark, and they didn't have a flashlight. And he, the son kept saying, Daddy, are you there? Daddy, are you there? Daddy, are you there? He said, Son, I'm holding you in my hand. I'm not going to let you go. I want to walk with you the whole way until we get home Isaiah 49 says a mother or father may forget his child but I will never forget you because your name's inscribed in the palm of my hand that's great news isn't it as we walk through life God journeys with us in the Great Depression, there was what they called hiring days in lots of small farming communities where farmers would go into the town to um, get people to work on the farm during the harvesting season and during uh, the times of planting and, you know, all the different uh, times when, uh, when hired hands were needed. And this farmer went into town and he asked the man, why should I hire you? And the fellow said this, when the storms come, you can sleep peacefully at night. The guy was intrigued by this answer, so he, he hired him. He's a good worker, and he, he did everything that he's asking, even more. And one night, a terrible storm came up, and the farmer woke up. He heard the wind howling and the trees beating against the house, and, and he threw on his clothes, and he ran out to make sure everything's okay. He, he checked the windmill. It's all tied down. Went and checked the barn. It's all closed up nice and secure. He went to the hen house, and, and the chicken coop was, was secure. And all... Every, all the tools were put away. And he then went and checked on his hired hand, and there he was sleeping soundly in his bed. 
And then he remembered. When the storms come, if you hire me, you can sleep soundly. Well, same with us. As the psalmist reminds us, when the storms come, and they will, we can sleep soundly as we have invited the Lord into our lives because he said, I'll never let you go. His power will keep us. His love will hold us. And his mercy will sustain us no matter what. And I don't know about you, but that's something to give thanks and praise over, isn't it? And so we come here to remember God's power Recall God's love. I think that's worthy of thanksgiving. I think that's worthy of our praise, don't you? Amen and amen. Let us pray. We come before you, God, knowing that you are a great and majestic God. And some would say that you're far off and distant, that you flung the supernovas into space and then forgot about your creation. But Lord, we know uh, that you are a God that doesn't forget us and that even in times of trouble, you are there for us. So, God, we come recalling your goodness, recalling your mercy, recalling the fact that you're with, with us here and you are indeed worthy of our thanksgiving. You indeed are worthy of our praise. So may we have these things on our lips, particularly when times are tough, because then we can more than endure the storms of life. We can move through them knowing that your grace is sufficient in every hour of need. Now, Lord, may we truly praise your name and offer thanks to you, not only here, but each and every day of our lives. All this we ask in the one who enables us to come unto you, your greatest gift unto us, Jesus Christ, your Savior. Amen.